0: Welcome to The Trouble with Sex, where we get up close and personal with leading experts to expose the naked truth about sex, love, and relationships. I'm Dr. Tammy Nelson. As a sex and relationship therapist, I've helped thousands of individuals and couples improve their sex lives and enjoy intimate and fulfilling relationships. Together with my guests, we'll talk about the latest trends, answer your questions, and share insights into the most pleasurable, sometimes painful, but often forbidden aspects of the human experience. If you've ever been challenged by the concept of monogamy and what it means to you and your partner in your relationship, you're far from alone. Communication around the meaning of this one word is a huge component of how I work with couples. That's why I've been honored to be invited to do a TED Talk based on my book, The New Monogamy. To watch or listen for tips on how to make your relationship sexier, search for Dr. Tammy Nelson, TEDx, The New Monogamy, or go to thetroublewithsex.com for a direct link. With me today is... The Reverend Beverly Dale. Rev Bev is an ordained clergy in the Disciples of Christ Church, and she's also the chair and founder of the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. Her focus is inclusive, science-friendly, sex-positive Christianity. You don't often hear those words put together in the same sentence. And she's got a new book. It's called Advancing Sexual Health for the Christian Client, co-written with a sex therapist, Rachel Keller. And in the book, it has valuable tools and insights to anyone who's experiencing sexual guilt, shame, and fear that's come from their religious beliefs. I'm sure there's no one out there listening who has any shame, guilt, or fear that comes from their religion. So I want to welcome Rev Bev. I'm so excited to have you. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Let's talk about God and sex. Let's talk about (laughs) God and sex. I love that you're here now, particularly at this point in time, I feel like... We all have some sexual healing to do, whether you're Christian or Muslim or Jewish. This book is going to help a lot of people. So tell us why you wrote the book, and then I want to hear about why you became a reverend. Well, I've always been concerned about that intersection between
1: sexuality and spirituality. That's been my own cutting edge in my own personal life and my own personal healing. Sex and spirit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's been my passion. And then when I met sexologist Rachel Keller, we did a workshop with the National Organization of Sex Therapists and Counselors. And in that, we did a little group discussion or a group exercise. And we asked them to talk to one another about religion and sex and how that impacted their own lives. And after about five minutes or so, we were getting red flags from people. These were professionals Aww. who were saying, wait a minute, we're triggered. Oh, can't we talk are triggered ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we knew that, boy, if our professionals are having trouble with this and yeah. haven't worked through it, then uh, what are they doing with their clients? And so, those are
0: sex therapists, sex yes. counselors, psychotherapists, psychologists. So you know that if they can't deal with it, what, are they, what about their clients? What about everybody else right. in the world?
1: It's very evident. You know, people come out there they're sexually wounded and they need help. And so we need to have our professionals prepared to deal with
0: this. Can I just say that I think our whole culture is sexually wounded? Absolutely. I think we're all sexually wounded. We definitely are. And what you're doing is so fascinating that you are combining sex and spirit and religion. I think it's an amazing gift that you're bringing. So I'm really curious what led you to become a reverend in the first place.
1: Well, I was a very serious Christian child, and uh, when I was about 11, I felt like God wanted me to be in the ministry. But my religion told me I couldn't. Because you're a woman. I was a woman. And so I didn't until I was about 30. And then the women's movement taught me that it was okay to be a woman. And, in fact, I should be rejoicing in being a woman and that the feminine, whether it's in men or women or whatever, is, is good. So then I went back to my church very angry, saying, why didn't I hear this wonderful good news of grace? from the church. So I began... The good news about... About being a woman. Being a woman, being
0: pleasurable Well, I wasn't there yet. Oh, you weren't there (laughs) yet. That's like a while. Okay. This was a several-step process. Yeah,
1: yeah. Then I took a lot of sexuality courses and realized just how very wounded I was. And I got in touch with sexual abuse in my background and date rape in my background, that all of that stuff had come out of that um, time of sexual ignorance and um, being totally unprepared for, for adulthood and certainly being what is it to be a sexual woman in this culture is hugely conflictual. So you had some trauma of your own around sex that you had to deal with. Right. So for me to be whole, I had to figure out that religion stuff, and I had to figure out my own sexual wounding in a a therapeutic setting too.
0: So you had to figure out your own sexual wounding in a therapeutic setting, and then you had this religious piece. So you didn't give up. You didn't give up on wanting to stay in your religion and stay some kind of a healer, if you will, and a voice. Right, right. Well, I
1: knew I was called to the ministry. I didn't know if I was called to the church, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know if the church would honor it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a a woman minister actually tell me that, um, don't worry. There are always desperate churches. Oh my so, God! Oh, so with that encouragement, comforting. with that encouragement, I knew I could go into the ministry. And what I found when I began studying theology is that there were there was a first wave of women feminist theologians in there who were now writing books in the early eighties, um, deconstructing all of the sexism that. That I had learned in church and from my preachers and so forth. Um, And I realized I could stay on the inside of it because what I didn't like and what was wounding was the culture, the Western culture that the men um, had put in there. In the church. In the church. And the writings. Right, right, the, and so yeah. so we can we just separate that out and try to get back to the gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just try to get back to the stories of Jesus and the early movement to see what they were about and what we find they were about was sexual liberation.
0: You Wait, know? how do you take the patriarchy out of those out of those early writings and and focus on sexual liberation? I mean, what you're saying is pretty radical. I mean, imagining. Some people who are sort of orthodox and strictly religious might have a problem with you saying that.
1: Well, it's a matter of wh- which is your God? Are you going to go back to your Jesus? Or are you going to go back to St. Augustine, Augustine or St. Jerome or um, Thomas Aquinas? I mean, come on. W- those are all deeply conf- sexually conflicted men. They're all high-status European educated men speaking for you now. And, you know, they this was 300, 400 um, CE. So come on, that was a long time ago. Um, they didn't the Greco-Roman world was very problematic. It was a body unfriendly culture. The Greek women were kept prisoners for the most part, in their houses. They couldn't even eat with their husbands. Um, the Roman women that came later, they could eat with their husbands, but they couldn't drink any wine because you know what happens when women drink wine. So think gladiators at that time. So they it was a body-unfriendly culture. Bodies were trivialized. The pedophilia was acceptable. If you were a high-status man, you could have prepubescent boys to abuse and call it whatever you want to, but that's what it was. So, And in that world where the church fathers they had those ideas and that is what got into the theology and so saint augustine was the one who came up with the idea about original sin
0: and how we're all sinful how do we go from that to i mean in our culture we have really basically one archetype for women mary she's either the virgin mary or mary magdalene right. and so she's a good girl or a bad girl and that has pretty much you know, pervaded our idea of sexuality today. And so how do you take all this information that you have and bring it into today into the work that you do with both men and women, but particularly women, around decreasing the shame and guilt around being a sexual person?
1: I just go back to the stories of Jesus. Um, The women there were sexually empowered, if you will, in in the story of Mary and Martha, Mary violates the gender norms, and Jesus says, and that's what she should be doing. You know, she was sitting with the men. We know that Mary Magdalene had a a lot of leadership responsibilities. Uh, Paul mentions a lot of women in his uh, uh, various letters, so there were lots of women leaders. So Jesus That's violated so all kinds of rules. If you if you read he your was gospel, a rebel. he was he was a rule breaker. When it violated relationship, mm-hmm. um, when it violated healing, you know he prevented healings. He disobeyed
0: the rules. So it's sort of like you, yeah. Well, <laughs> a thank like you. you. Thank you. I try to be like Jesus. Yes, you are like Jesus. <laughs> we have a question from a listener. I was a good Christian girl and waited till I got married to have sex. And I have to be honest, it's not that pleasurable. Am I doing something wrong? Should I have had sex before I got married? Thanks for anything that you can tell me to make me feel better about me and my husband. Okay. Well, this is unfortunately
1: a very common scenario. Um, that I hear, particularly those who went to a Christian college or um, were involved in groups that taught they couldn't even masturbate, that had to save that for a spouse. Mm. Of course, that message was mostly to the women, not to the men. But the reality is that you have to practice in order to get good at something. Mm. And when you teach people Um, or require people to stay ignorant, that means that on the wedding night, there is the blind leading the blind here. (laughs) We don't have a a woman who knows her body and knows what she enjoys, in the dating scene, of course, you have problems of people not knowing how to say no because they don't know how to say yes either, so the boundaries get all mixed up. So it's a disaster when you don't know what's going on with your own body, let alone the body of your partner that you have chosen. So unfortunately for, for our listener, this is common, um, and I would say find a good sexual therapist or get a good sex ed book. The Guide to Getting It On is what I always refer people to. It's written for college students, um, but it answers all of your questions Mm -hmm. about sexuality. And know that we live in a sexually ignorant culture. We have 37 states that require in sex ed that abstinence only be taught. And only 13 states actually require instruction be medically accurate. So sexual ignorance is not good for our sex lives, unfortunately. And it's a real problem out there. And what happens in these situations oftentimes is that there's a divorce Or there is an agreement that it just simply becomes a sexless marriage and nobody's happy. That's
0: true. So let's teach people how to have a pleasurable yes instead of a no. Absolutely. An enthusiastic yes. An enthusiastic and pleasurable yes would mean you'd have to know what gives you pleasure. You'd have to know what brings your body pleasure in order to know what is pleasurable in order to know when you want to say yes, instead of just teaching people how to say no. Now, unfortunately, those people who are anti-sex
1: are also quoting a Bible verse about Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, which is not at all what that passage means. It simply means pay attention to what you're, you're thinking and you're, because it may lead to actions that you would regret. But it does not mean that you can't have fantasies. And indeed, that's a good way to overcome your sexual reservation is to begin to fantasize and use those for yourself and for your partner to enhance what's happening between
0: the two of you. Yeah, arousal many times for women has to come before desire. Absolutely. And so girls aren't taught those things in school. Right. So, how do we integrate this idea of it's okay to go against the rules and it's okay to follow your your heart and what you desire and your pleasure, and to also be maybe religious? You know, I hear from a lot of people that they want to. live their truth. Maybe they're gay. Maybe they're in an open marriage. Maybe they've had an affair. But they also don't want to be cut off from their own spirituality, but they feel like they're not welcome in their church. Right.
1: Okay. Well, in this book, we make a difference early on in the book that therapists and counselors and and even those who are listening need to make a difference between what are the religious rules that the church has set up that may or may not be helpful, may or may not apply to your situation, and, um, and your own—and we call those beliefs and faith. So faith is different than beliefs. Uh, faith is what you know in your heart to be true for you. Mm-hmm. Faith is, oftentimes has a sense of awe
0: and mystery. And a little intuitive knowing. Yeah, yeah. Faith is like intuitive knowing. You know it.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 If you don't have your ego engaged, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you're really, really discerning, questioning, Mm -hmm. then the spirit will make itself known. So we tell people to follow your heart and follow. It's not about body parts. It's about relationship. And the church got off base when it stopped talking about relationship and started talking about body parts.
0: You know, I love what you're saying about when the church stopped talking about relationship, when they stopped talking about the heart and what the heart wants, and they started focusing on The body parts and what the body parts wanted. And I think we're going to take a quick commercial break. Hi out there to all our listeners. I wanted to tell you about my favorite Good Clean Love lubricant, Almost Naked. It's totally organic, and it was named one of the safest products on the market by an independent scientific research study. Best of all, our friends at Good Clean Love are offering our listeners a 15% discount. Go to goodcleanlove.com and type in TTWS15 at checkout. That's TTWS15 for 15% off. And we're back with The Trouble with Sex. I'm Dr. Tammy Nelson, and with me is Reverend Dr. Beverly Dale, the author of Advancing Sexual Health for the Christian Client. I just realized I have a little bit of shame and guilt in me left over from my early childhood of being Catholic growing up. I made my first communion, and then my parents got divorced, and I remember my mother being so angry because my father could go back to the church, but my mother couldn't back then. And I think I absorbed a lot of her anger around Catholicism. And, you know, so now I'm on like a recovering Catholic. So even just talking about sex and Jesus in the same, in the same sentence, I feel like I'm sweating a little. <laughs> so I had to cross myself in the booth and, um, just to make sure we were safe. And so, 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 Rev Bev, can you tell us a little bit, like, why does this happen? Like, how deep do these things go around sex and morality and guilt? And what can you tell our listeners who might be struggling with their sexuality and religion? And then we have a, a question from a listener. Well, I think that let's focus on the positive here. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> uh,
1: some The early church fathers had a, who were writing, you know, 300 to 700 years after Jesus, they had a real problem with pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that's because in the Greco-Roman world, pleasure or the passions of the flesh were inferior. So it was under, for Plato, it was all about the mind and reason and intellect. And so we have all these very bright people going into the church, and then they want to put down pleasure or anything that's sensual that makes you feel good. Because it was, so they made it a sin. Right, Mm. right. And so, but we don't find any of that in Jesus conversations with people. In mm-hmm. fact, the chief criticism in the book of Matthew of Jesus is that he was he was drinking wine and he was going to parties <laughs> and with people that they didn't like and didn't appreciate. And if you listen to his
0: stories, they're all about feasts and banquets. Know, he's always telling parables. Absolutely. Very sensual pleasures, Something. eating and drinking and getting uh-huh. his feet washed and partying and, yeah, and, a lot of sensual pleasures. And he even tells people how to behave at
1: a feast party, you know, where to sit and so forth in, in Book of Matthew, so we know that he went to those parties. It wasn't just making up stories. Yeah. So the church has a problem with pleasure. There's a suspicion that if you immerse yourself in a the pleasure, then you'll become hedonistic. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible verses that are against pleasure are really the word is really about hedonism. If you just look at the mm-hmm. context, mm-hmm. so about hedonism, um, hedon- irresponsible hedonism, irresponsible, um, which makes a lot is, of sense, of course. When you when it's all about ego and all about doing my own thing, regardless of who gets hurt,
0: mm-hmm. um, and, and sort I, of binging on pleasure, right? Which actually right. is interesting in our culture today because. We have such a Western culture that says success means you work all the time and you put aside pleasure until you go on vacation and then you binge on it and then you come back and you're recovering from it. And it's only... to be put into that category of a pleasure disorder or a sin, or you have to control your desires, control your desire right. for pleasure. So pleasure
1: becomes a reward for hard working. That's exactly. very Calvinistic. Oh, it so, is. oh yeah, that comes <laughs> it's very from America. Yeah, so, but it's not the way we're made to be. What mm. we're we are made to appreciate pleasure. It also keeps us with our nose to the grindstone. It helps out capitalism. As well, I mean, there's a reason why people want us to work 80 hours a week. If we could have sex mm-hmm. as much as we wanted to, anytime we wanted to, we probably wouldn't commit ourselves to a 60-hour-a-week work week. We would probably not sit on our couches as couch potatoes. We would probably be enjoying pleasure more. So that's the message of Song of Songs. Um, that's the message of the life of Jesus. Is what we can see in the stories that yeah, we are made for pleasure, and care, take care of one another, mm-hmm. and that's uh, those are not mutually exclusive. And some people think they are. You mm-hmm. know, well, if I'm going to be all about pleasure, it's going to be about all me, 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 and I'm not going to pay attention to my neighbor. And of course, that's not
0: at all what right. What Wouldn't the it be amazing about. if we had a religion that Jesus actually talked about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Helping your neighbor. Caring, caring, caring for one another. Yeah. So I have a quick question from one of our listeners who says I was in a church and I did enjoy going to the services. And now, because of the things that I've done in my life and the things that I've experienced, I feel like I don't belong. Can you tell me how to integrate religion, even though I feel terrible about the things that I have done? Okay. Thank you, Matthew, for writing to us. Guilt is, is not useful, so get rid of it.
1: God does never, never points a finger of accusing us, all right? God's finger, if you will, is always beckoning us come this way, come this way. So get rid of the guilt because you don't deserve that. And instead, embrace the fact that you were made in the image of God. You are still in the image of God. It's understood that we make mistakes. And God says, okay, so big deal. You know, I still love you. I will never abandon or forsake you, period. That's over and over in the scripture. I will never abandon or forsake you. It doesn't matter what you did. So parable of the prodigal son, you know, he takes off and he does all the wrong things, associates with all all the wrong people, violates all kinds of rules, comes back home because he's destitute. And the image of the parent standing on the road is one of welcome. So it doesn't, yeah, okay. it doesn't matter. It's okay. doesn't matter Come what home. you've done. You're Come still home. welcome home. Come home. You are welcome in... If you're not particularly welcome in that congregation, then go to a different one. But, but if a congregation is going to be true to what the gospel is to be about, it's always hospitality. It's always inclusion. Um, and don't ever sell your spirituality to some institution it's your spirit it's your walk with the
0: mystery that calls you home and so claim it so rev bev tell us as a christian woman growing up it sounds like you struggled with your own healing process and for other people who might be listening out there not only do you do they have to integrate their Perhaps their trauma or their own sexuality, but they might be growing into things that they're not sure how to integrate into their spirituality or into their religion, like being kinky or being into edgy sex or things that might be outside the realm of what we would consider traditional sex. How do do you integrate all that? (laughs) Well, let's be clear. Traditional sex is P.I.V. Penis and vagina. There you go. P I V equals penis in vagina, and what that means is that
1: the focus is on the male orgasm. Uh, its focuses on heterosexuality, um, and its focus is not on pleasure. All right. So most of us are not just only having sexual experiences just for making babies. Most of us are doing it because we're having lots of fun,
0: and, and enjoying penis and vagina another. sex can be
1: fun too. Well,
0: but of your course. your point is about. Sex for reproduction. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. So if anybody is having sex for other reasons, then that's non-traditional.
0: Okay. Outside of that uh, reproductive so,
1: column, right? Yeah. So let's be clear that the that the ones who defined traditional sex were sexually conflicted heterosexual men. <laughs> so we can just discard that. I mean, I'm a, I was a sociologist before I was a theologian, and this is norms. These are mores of a culture, and the fact that this is a U.S. culture with a puritanical background and Calvinism is you know all that stuff that that influences
0: the way in which we define words and the way in which we and our culture know, has is changed. It's changing. We have gay marriage. We have open marriage. We have polyamory. We have divorce. We have abortion. We have so many other things in our culture today that are are right now at least mainstream and legal. And right. so right. we so, can't define things in the same way
1: that we used to. Well, the church has much to should have much to say about all of those things and it's all about loving one oneself and loving one's neighbor and your special partner or partners that you have. Are you treating them with respect? Hmm. Or to use the Buddhism, are you
0: is it safe, sane and consensual?
1: Um, I love that.
0: So that's, the the idea is are you loving your partner? Are you treating them with respect? And in the terms of BDSM, are you having safe, sane, and consensual sex? Absolutely. And you heard it, ladies and gentlemen, from <laughs> Rev Beth. Let's talk a little bit about gay sex. I, I really want to um, focus for our listeners out there who are LGBTQIA and struggling with religion and their background um, and healing, perhaps, like I am from a Catholic Uh, history or Christian history or Muslim, Jewish, whatever their history is around religion and trying to integrate their uh, gender, their orientation, their sexuality, how how can you help them? I teach a science-friendly
1: Christianity, that's sex positive. And what that means is we pay attention to what science is telling us about what is natural to the natural world, what is natural cross-culturally and people's experiences with their bodies and so forth. So science becomes a dialogue partner with scripture and with the church tradition. And so we do not have to elevate all of this mm, judgmentalism around sexual diversity just you know just we can throw that out because what we're doing is we're following the heart we're following our internal spirit and I think I've had enough psychology to understand that the ins- insides of us wants to be healed mm-hmm. and if we will listen to the inside or the, the church would call out the Holy Spirit in mm-hmm. us we know what we need to be healing and that is to surround ourselves with people who love us unconditionally mm-hmm. so if we have heard Judgment, then we need to say that community is not healthy for us, mm-hmm. and walk away clean. If Jesus had a problem with sexual diversity, he had a, per- a perfect opportunity in Matthew to talk about and condemn the um, the eunuchs of his day, and, he, and did he didn't. It. He didn't do it. No. He said, "Accept this if you can." You know, Accept there are lots of can, different yeah. ways of of being a eunuch, and um, and he had no problem
0: with that. So, what communities do you recommend for people who are looking for? religious communities that might be more diverse accepting? Well, it depends on kind
1: of the worship experience you're looking for. But if you're looking for more of a high church with a lot of ritual then the Episcopal Church Episcopal. oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Has, um, they have gay pa- pastors and, and women priests. If you're looking for something that's more mainstream, I would say the United Church of Christ. If the whole Jesus thing has been ruined for you, you can always try the Unitarian Universalist. I really think um, a lot of people walk away from the church, and I totally understand that. And I just always say that God is not employed by the church. So you you will find God where you find love Mm -hmm. and acceptance and grace. And that's where you need to move, and there God can heal you. At Mm -hmm. some point, if you walk away from Christianity, though, we need to deal with the healing, and sometimes we have to come back to Mm -hmm. figure out and forgive or to speak back to some of those awful teachings that we heard or the Mm -hmm. condemnations that we
0: heard. So what do you think about the idea that we're moving to a more— Sort of matriarchal and away from the patriarchal religion, so more of a goddess. I think that um,
1: kind of explains the right wing right now. It explains the culture what we have in the Congress and um, and the administration that is very anti sex, anti woman.
0: So it's a reaction to it's a our, reaction our political to
1: the egalitarianism state. movement, right? The mm-hmm. democratic movement that we have had more and more uh, openness towards sexual diversity, and people are afraid that that means change, and it does. Mm-hmm. But it's it's for the better. Mm-hmm. And when we empower the woman sexually or economically, good things happen in a culture, any culture. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we need to say. I, I can't believe that Jesus would have a problem with empowering women. That's just not not part of the biblical story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's let women take care of the generations that are coming
0: can you leave the listeners with if there's one thing that you want to share with them that you think might be empowering or helpful? Well, I think when
1: people start telling stories about their own sexual wounding, they will discover that everybody else is sexually wounded as well wow. in this culture. And we're all just in various stages of healing. We're so all in various but, stages yeah, of healing from our sexual
0: woundedness. Yeah,
1: let's talk to one another. And we have to be able to push back against people who want to throw God in this mix or throw Jesus in this mix or, or elevate the church to some kind of a status that, uh, that's, if it's judgmental, it does not deserve to be elevated. And claim our own spiritual growth and our own spirituality. And you can claim the word Christian, too. and stay on the inside of the church i say i'm on the inside to subvert it Um,
0: (laughs) you're subversive that's right because
1: in (laughs) as much as it's not preaching jesus and it's not when it comes to sexuality Uh uh, then it's a perversion and it's wrong and Uh so that's not what the gospel is the good news is about sexual diversity is good um sexual pleasure is to be celebrated there's power As, and, and pleasure. Sexual freedom. I mean, my goodness. There's oh. power and sexual
0: freedom. Yeah. Thanks, Rev Bev. It's such welcome. a pleasure to have you here today. <laughs> You're very welcome. This has I, been fun. I feel a little healed, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> This episode of The Trouble with Sex was sponsored by our friends at Good Clean Love, revolutionizing sexual health with organic and natural solutions made by women for women. To find out more, go to thetroublewithsex.com or email me at drtammy at thetroublewithsex.com. Join our mailing list, follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, or send me a question. The Trouble with Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Audio post by Flavor Labs' Brian Quell and Eric Stern. And our music is by Bruce Hirshfield.